Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches from the Gospel of John in our Eternal Word series. But today we're picking back up in the Gospel of John. We're in John 14. We're going to cover the first three verses of chapter 14. I've titled the message this morning, Truth for Troubled Hearts. Truth for Troubled Hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of opening your word. God, it really is a joy that we get to open your word and we get to learn truths from your word. We get, we get to hear you speak to us. God, you have spoken to us through your word. And it, it is truly an honor that we get to hear your voice today. And God, I pray that as we hear your word, spoken, as we hear your word read and expounded upon, I pray that our hearts would be receptive to divine truth. Our hearts would be receptive to what you would say to us, that you would make us more like Jesus because of it. And God, I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's an advertisement in a local newspaper And it simply said this, due to unforeseen circumstances, no clairvoyant meetings will be held tonight until further notice. Wasn't sure if that would go off or not. Let me read it again. Due to unforeseen, unforeseen circumstances, no clairvoyant meetings will be held until further notice. You got it now? A little, little joke there, right? But, but everyone's worried about the future, aren't they? We want to know about the future. You have those who believe they can predict the future. You have people who are, are, are overly concerned about the future. If you think about your life and you think about your situations, a lot of the things that cause us anxiety are the things that we don't know about yet. We know the things that we're facing now, and, and we, we're walking through different challenges that, that we're facing, but it's really it's what is not known that's in front of us, that God knows, but we don't, that causes us anxiety and worry. The federal government, uh, I did the little research, federal government spent over $280 billion on mental health services in 2020. Now, that's not shocking for 2020, but I would imagine those numbers are very similar year in and year out. Hundreds of billions of dollars spent on mental health services. And, and, and anxiety and fear is related to all of that. Anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, uncertain futures. And people are worried about our democracy. Will our democracy hold? Will it stand the test that we are walking through? Will the, will the foundation of what makes us a functioning society, will it last? The definitions of reality as we know it. Will everything be rewritten? You think about reality. Think about what we know about life, about marriage and family, about how we are as human beings. Will it all just be written, rewritten over time? Will robots take over? Right? Is AI the future? Is this, you know, is it going to completely uh, uh, erase the, the workforce that we have? Like all these questions. Here's another one. Have we completely lost the moral compass of our nation? Like where did it go? Have, have we lost it? The economy. How long can we continue to borrow against our future and not reap the consequences? 
Like these are things that people worry about, they're anxious about. The future, the uncertainty of things, it causes many to be troubled and to be anxious. And, and, and this is the heart of the message, truth for troubled hearts. And then, and then you think about our unique situations that we face. If I was able to give you opportunity to talk about what you're walking through, the stories that would come out just of the anxiety and the worry and the fear, and it's centered around this idea that we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what's around the corner. And so it causes us at times to be anxious. And so as we continue our study through the Gospel of John and, and, and we see the beginning of the upper room conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, we're still at the beginning of it. Jesus makes a profound statement about troubled hearts. It's, it's a statement that as we go through this, you would think it's just amazing that he would even say it like this makes a, a profound statement. Jesus is communicating to his early disciples about where they can turn with their troubled hearts and, and how they're worried about the future and the uncertainty of what's going to come. And, and he, he gives them a command and he, he tells them where they can lean. And he reminds them, listen, he reminds them of this, that the future is in his hands. The future is in his hands. And this is what we're going to see in the text. Let's look at our text this morning. Truth for troubled hearts. Anxiety about the future. Worry about the future. This is the context. John 14. Look at verse 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Amen? It's God's word. What are we going to learn from this text? Oh, some powerful things. So many things I wanted to squeeze out of this text to, to encourage our, our hearts. I know many of you are troubled here today, and, and, but we got to see it through the lens of, of the context of the early disciples. And I think as we see it through that lens, then we'll begin to see it through our lives. And, and here are some great things we're going to learn. So what help does our Lord give these anxious disciples? Here's how we're going to frame it from this text. I see one imperative. Did you see the imperative? The command at the beginning of the text, did you see it? See, one command, one imperative based upon three truths. It's a command based upon three truths about God. One command based upon three truths. One imperative based on three truths about God. So here's the first Here's the first truth about God. Here's the first reality. Here's the first thing we base this command on from the Lord. Number one, do not be troubled. Why? Because God is God. Do not be troubled because God is God. Look back at the text, John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Do not be troubled because God is God. Now, it's interesting. In the ESV, which is the translation that I'm reading that I, I, I preach from, it says, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, the, uh, the original uh, King James, the old King James, I think gives the better translation and the New American Standard Bible gives, gives the, the fuller translation of the original language. It's, it, 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 it really, it says this, you believe in God, you, you, you believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God, you believe in God. He's looking at his disciples in the upper room 
And they're worried, they're concerned about the future. He's been talking about going away. He's been talking about death. They don't know exactly what he means. They're anxious, their hearts are troubled. And he says to them, you believe in God. And in essence, he's saying, you believe in God and you can't see him. Here I am, believe also in me. Do you see that? You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe also in me. You believe in a, in a God whom you cannot see, believe also in me. I, we'll talk about this here in a minute. But God is, Jesus here is making himself equal with the Father. He's making himself equal with God. He's telling these Jewish disciples, you believe in Yahweh, believe also in me. And this word believe is the idea of faith. It's trust. It's the idea of salvation. It's the idea of total surrender and trust in God. You trust God. You can't see him. You believe in him. You trust him. You have faith in him. Believe also in me. That same trust, that same faith you place in God, place it in me. He is calling for faith in himself. And he knows that that is what they need for their troubled hearts. Now notice Notice what he says after that. Well, I'll kind of go backwards. He says, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. What he really is saying here, and it could be said like this, stop being troubled in your hearts. That's how we would say it. Like if, if, if we're anxious about something or, or we see somebody in our life, maybe it's our, our family member, a, a child, and they're anxious and they're worried, we, we wouldn't say, let not your heart be troubled. Would we say it like that? We'd say, Stop. Stop being troubled in your heart. And that, that's, the, that's the feel that is being communicated here with Jesus, from Jesus to his disciples. Stop being troubled in your heart. It reminded me of, do you remember, uh, Peter would have been in this conversation here in the upper room, but do you remember at the arrest of Jesus? Whenever they go, went to arrest Jesus and Peter had a little little sword, it was a sword, but it was really more like a little hand knife. You remember he pulled it out and he cut off Malchus's ear, the, one of the, the servants who was there to arrest Jesus. What did Jesus tell him? Put away your sword. All those who live by the sword will die by the sword. That's what I thought about. It's the same strong language where Jesus told Peter in the garden when Jesus was being arrested, put away your sword. He's saying, let not your heart be troubled. Stop being troubled in your hearts. Isn't that profound that Jesus is saying that? They're troubled in their hearts, and he says, stop it. They're worried, and he says, stop it. You know, one thing to take from this, this is just a little bonus here. Sometimes we think we don't have control over our emotions, or we can't control how we feel. We can't control our troubled hearts. Well, Jesus is giving a command here to disciples who were anxious, who were worried, who were overwhelmed, and he says, stop it. Stop it. Don't let your heart be troubled. I think that's instructive for us. Sometimes we feel like, well, I just have no control. I, I can't control. I, I can't help but be worried. Jesus paints a different picture. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus knew what these disciples needed. He knew their hearts were troubled. And he knew they were fearful about the future, especially because he'd been talking, as I said earlier, about death, about going away, about a different future than what they thought was going to happen, right? Jesus is speaking about how they feel in the moment, but I also think that Jesus is speaking towards their future. If they thought that this was bad now, if they thought this was troublesome now, what was it gonna be like when Rome was breathing down their neck because of their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? 
Let not your hearts be troubled. He wasn't just speaking just to what they're walking through now. I believe he was preparing them for their future. There will be a time when their heart would greatly be troubled. What did Jesus say? We'll see it in John 15. If they persecuted me, if they hate me, you're my disciples. They will hate you on account of me, right? So I believe it's speaking. Jesus is speaking not only to what they're walking through now, but, but he, he, through the power of the Spirit, will remind them in the future of what he's saying right now in this moment. And he gives this command, let not, don't let your heart be troubled. Stop it. Stop. Stop worrying. Stop worrying, guys. Stop worrying. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. This certainly could have come across as insensitive, couldn't it? You ever told somebody to stop worrying and they're like, well, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm walking through. Maybe one of the disciples, maybe they thought that. We don't see that they said it and we don't see that they thought it. But I would imagine that might have went through their head easy for you to say, Jesus, right? Maybe it would have come across as hypocritical. Why do you think it would have come across as hypocritical? Jesus is telling them, don't let your heart be troubled. Maybe some of them was like, Jesus, you... You were troubled earlier. Do you remember John 12? What did we learn in John 12? Jesus said out loud, now is my soul troubled. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is so profound and so good. So Jesus is looking at his disciples who were in the upper room. He's been telling them he's leaving. He's been telling them, He's going to die. Death is coming. He's going away. They don't get it. They're troubled. And earlier, he tells his disciples, I'm troubled in my soul. But what am I going to say? Am I going to escape away from the trouble? No, because the trouble was coming from the reality that he was about to be separated from his father because he was going to carry the weight of sin on his shoulders, the weight of the sin of humanity to receive the punishment that was due sin. So think about it for a moment. Jesus is telling these disciples that they don't need to be troubled. Stop being troubled. Why? Because I am troubled for you. Do you hear that? He's saying it to them because he knows that he is about to bear their troubles. He is about to bear the troubles that is the result of sin. Why do we go through trials and troubles? Why do we feel the, the future is uncertain? It's because of the curse of sin. It's because we live in a broken world. And Jesus is looking at those disciples who, yes, feel troubled in their heart. And in essence, what he's saying is, hey, guys, stop being troubled. I've got a plan. I'm moving towards the direction of taking care of your troubles. It's going to be okay. And this is the first truth that we anchor on here when we're thinking about truths for troubled hearts. The first truth is, is, is don't, do not be troubled. Why? Because God is God. God has a plan. God is working his plan. This is what I believe is, is coming through the heart of Christ as he's calling his disciples to believe in him. He's saying, believe in me. Believe in the plan that I've come to fulfill. Believe in why I came. Believe in me. You believe in God. Believe in me. Believe that I've come to fulfill my Father's will. So the first step or the first truth that would help these disciples to not let their hearts be troubled was to place their faith in Christ. Amen? 
don't be troubled because God's God. Believe in his plan. And this is the first truth for a troubled heart. God's in charge. God has a plan. Do you believe that? Or do you believe what some people believe, that God, God set creation in motion and he, he set, it's kind of like this idea of, a, of, a, uh, of like, a, what would you call it, um, like a snowball on top of a hill, right? Or something like that where he just set it in motion, it's just going downhill and he's just kind of watching it happen. Right, he set the time, uh, the time of history, and he, he set it in motion. He starts it, and, and he's just watching it, right? Or do we believe that God is actually in charge? He is in the middle of his creation. I think this is what we see in Scripture. This is what we see in, in the reality of, of, of the purpose of the gospel, that God is with his creation, and he is working his plan, the plan from eternity past. And he is in charge, and, and he is fulfilling that plan. We see this throughout Scripture, don't we? I just picked a, a couple of places for us to look at. Jeremiah 32, 17. Listen to this in the, in the NIV. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched harm. Nothing is too hard for you. Amen? Don't you love that scripture? Aren't you glad that nothing's too hard for God? What about this one, Psalm 121, 1 through 4? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Right? Do I look to the mighty mountains? Do I look to the hills? I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made those hills, who made those mountains, right? Who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Is God sleeping on his creation or is he awake? What a great picture right there, right? Oh, man, that is so good. That is so good. It, 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 Psalm 121 blows up the whole idea that God had just created us and let us go. No, he doesn't sleep. He's not slumbering. He's awake. He is alert. He is engaged in our lives and in creation. He is a God that is sovereign. He is a God that is in charge. And he is a God that is in control. Amen. I love this. This is from uh, Isaiah 46. This is a description of the one true God in comparison to the false gods of Babylon. False gods of Babylon, they represent all, all, all false gods. You could say the false gods of Babylon could be anything and everything. Money, possession, sexual pleasure. You go through the list of the, of the false gods of Babylon. This is a picture, this is speaking of Yahweh God in comparison to all other false gods. Listen to Isaiah 46. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God. There's no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Oh, man. I want to preach a sermon just on that section right there. I got a sermon's worth of stuff to say here. That's amazing to think about. Listen to what says about our God. The Lord said of himself, I make known the end from the beginning. That means that he is the author of all of human history. There's nothing that catches our God by surprise. That's why he can look at his disciples and he can say, stop letting your heart be troubled. You believe in God, don't you? Believe in me. Believe in me. 
Why? Because I'm God. Because I'm the author of creation. Because I make known the end from the beginning. I know the end from the beginning. I, I, I love what Alistair Begg says here. He talks about how, how, how people often will reject the only true God. And many people with troubled hearts that reject the only true God, they run after the gods of Babylon. And they come back empty. They run after false gods, whatever the gods may be, right? Alistair Begg says it like this. When people reject the only God, the God of the Bible, it's not that they have nowhere to turn. It's that they turn everywhere into everything. That's the reality. If you reject the one true God, the God of the Bible, as a stability and a trust and a hope and a salvation, it's not that you have nowhere to turn. It's that now you're turning to everything and everywhere for hope, and you come back empty. Said another way, here's, here's another way to say it, everything and anything can become a God we look to to cope with our troubled soul. Everything and anything can become a God we look to to cope with our troubled soul. So the story is told of a man who found a magic lamp washed up on the beach. And he finds the magic lamp washed up on the beach and he picks it up and there's a note attached to it and it says, one wish left. I didn't need any more wishes, one wish left. So he looks at it and he thinks, wow, I got a magic lamp here, I've got one wish left. And so he comes up with this wonderful idea. He says, he thinks, okay, well, my wish is, is that I could know the stock prices for one year in the future. If I, could get, if I could get a newspaper that would tell me the stock prices for one year in the future, I would be perfectly set. I'd be okay. I'd have all the money that I could ever want. And so poof, out of nowhere, falls a newspaper on his lap, and it's a year in the future to the date that he's living, and it falls on his lap, and he sees the stock prices for the future, and he's just super excited. He can't believe it. Unbelievable. And in his excitement, the newspaper falls open to another section. It's the obituary section. And you know whose name was on the top of the list? His name. He was shocked to find out. Do you, do you get it? So what about us today? What about us today? Where are we running to to find stability and hope for our future? He was thinking, the man with the magic lamp, hey, well, if I can secure my future financially, then everything will be okay. So I'm going to lean on a magic lamp and a genie in a bottle to make all things work right, right? So what about us? Where are we running? Where are we looking to, for, to find peace for our troubled heart? Secure financial future? What gods of Babylon are we chasing after to cope with our troubled soul? You know, I, I think at some point we have to believe, listen, this is so important, at some point we have to believe that God knows more than us and has more power than us. At some point, we gotta believe that. And you know, I think if, if, if I ask all of you, do you believe that, that God knows more than you, has more power than you, you would say, well, of course, Pastor Ben, I believe that God knows more than me and has more power than me. But you know, I think we live differently than that, don't we? We do. We live like we think that we have to have all the knowledge to fix all the situations and have all the power to fix all the situations that we face. And we need to be reminded once again that that God has all the knowledge. He knows more than we do and he has more power than we do. He is all powerful, he is all knowing, he is 
all sufficient. He has all grace. He has all mercy. He has all strength for every circumstance that we can ever face. Our challenge is, and I think these are the challenges of these early disciples. You could, you could definitely see it in Peter. That we are a self-reliant people. We are a self-reliant people. We, we, we got our guns, and we got our knives, and we got our bows, and we got our stuff, and we are working people, and we're going to get it done, and this is who we are. This is Cajun country. We are self-reliant. I, I, I believe in the power of my ability to get it done, to make it happen. Amen? Amen. We do. Some of you be like, amen, that's right. I got it. But you know the truth is, without God, we are nothing. You remember what Pastor Matt Mason said last week, every breath that we breathe, in this moment, God's letting me stay alive. And in this moment, right now, I'm staying alive. Right now, he's he's allowing me to live. Right now, allowing me to live. Right now, without God, we are nothing. Have nothing and can do nothing. Do you believe that? We are nothing. Welcome to church. We are nothing. We have nothing and can do nothing. (laughs) But in some weird way, what a great place to fall. (laughs) What a great place to fall when your heart is troubled about the future. God is not in me. I have nothing. I know nothing. I can do nothing. I'm weak. What did Paul say? In my weakness, your strength is made perfect. Right? I don't have the strength. I don't have the understanding. I don't have the power. I don't have the wisdom. God, I'm falling on you. This is the first truth when that, is, that we based it. Like I think God is basing this imperative onto his disciples then and to his disciples now. He's saying, listen, my, my, my children, my beloved, don't let your hearts be troubled, not because you can figure it out, not because it's in your strength and your ability to get out of the situation. Don't let your hearts be troubled because I've got it because it's based upon my power and my strength and my knowledge. And he has no shortage of it, does he? One imperative, three truths about God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Stop it. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in Christ and his work. Amen? Do not be troubled because God is God. Secondly, do not be troubled. Here's the next truth about God that we can base our command, base the command from the Lord. Uh, Do not be troubled because God cannot lie. God is God and God cannot lie. Look back to the text, verse two. Jesus now says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus tells his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he was preparing for them what they were going to experience and certainly for the uncertainty of the future. He says, what do he say? Believe in God. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now the Lord begins to talk about something that only God could have knowledge of. Did you think about that when you read that? He says, in my father's house are many rooms. You know, there's only one person who can know about the father's house, and that's God. Right? There's nobody else that has knowledge about what heaven looks like, no, no matter what they tell you and what books they write. We got a Bible that talks a little bit about heaven, and we, we, we got 
we got what, what God tells us in his word, but just be very leery of people who come, who come back and tell you about the Father's house, that they had this vision and that vision, right? Just be, be leery of that. But Jesus, he knows what's going on up there because he's God, right? So I hate to burst your bubble here. This is just a little, another side note. Uh, th- this word house, in my Father's house are many rooms. This idea of the many rooms, you know, we think that, that we have a mansion that's waiting for us in heaven, right? For some reason, we've translated this, in, in my father's house are many mansions. Uh, as some translations will say that, but the overwhelming picture of the translation is that this word rooms really is the idea of apartments. So the idea is, is that there's a, a big house and I've got a room in God's house. In my father's house are many rooms or apartments and I've got I've got one of them. I'm making, Jesus is saying, I'm making room for you. And so some of you think, man, that really burst my bubble. I had my idea of what my mansion was going to look like. I had my golf course all set up, and I had my gardens and all this, and I had it decorated in my mind. Well, I'll just tell you this. I'll tell you this. I'd rather have an apartment from our Lord than a mansion from Satan. So I'll take, I'll take the Lord's apartment. You just give me a corner in his house, and I will be okay. But what's Jesus doing here? He says, he says, stop being troubled in your hearts. I'm God. I got this. I'm going to deal with your trouble. That's what I'm here for. And then he begins to point them to the future. In my Father's house are many rooms. He says, I'm making preparations. Then Jesus says something that I think is so profound for us to think about. Look what he says. Look back at the text. If it were not so, meaning if it weren't true, would I have told you? What's Jesus saying there? He's saying, I'm not going to lie to you. If I said it, it's true. Jesus is saying, in essence, I wouldn't tell you something that wasn't true. I wouldn't lie to you. If I said I'm going to prepare a place for you, that's what I am going to do. So the truth we learn here, this is a truth for a troubled heart. God cannot lie. God keeps his promises. Don't be troubled because God cannot lie. If he said it, he's going to do it. And we see this truth throughout scriptures. Look at Numbers uh, chapter 23, verse 19 about God. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it? Has he said it? Would I tell you this if I wasn't going to do it? Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Do you see that? How powerful that is? Our God cannot lie. He will fulfill his promises to his children. Look at Deuteronomy 7. I, I love this section. I wasn't I'll only read a couple of verses at the end, but I had to extend it because it's so beautiful. Listen to this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. It wasn't because you're a bunch of people. Look at all these people that said, I'm going to love you. It was, that's not the reason I love you or chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it's, it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. What's the Lord saying here? He's saying, I'm not loving you because you're great and awesome and mighty and powerful. I'm loving you because I've made a covenant with you. Because I keep my promises. I swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out of the, with a mighty hand and redeems you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore, the Lord your God is God. He's God. God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love and those who, with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. 
Amen? That's good stuff. In the New Testament, here's a, here's a picture of the reality that God can't lie that he keeps his promise. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. I am sure of this. I am confident that if God said it, he will do it. If he starts it, he will finish it. If he begins it, he will end it. He will complete it. This is our God. This is the anchor that we hang our hearts on that are troubled. On the reality, as it says there even in Deuteronomy 7, that God is God. And secondly, that God cannot lie, that he keeps his promises. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples to lean into. Listen, brothers, beloved Dear children, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because God has a plan. And I am that plan, he says. And I told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I said it, you can take it to the bank. If I said it, you can take it to the bank. I think sometimes we see God through the filter of those who don't keep promises. How many people in your life have not kept promises? I think we we meet... We have lots of relationships and we go through lots of situations where somebody said they would do something but they didn't do it. And, and so we struggle with trust in other people but we can't see God through that filter. We have, to, we have to trust God. We have to trust God. Even when the circumstances of our life aren't what we want them to be, we have to trust God that he's good and he loves us and he has a plan that he's working for our good and for his glory. It reminds me of a, a story of a college student in the 19th century I believe this is true uh, from everywhere I studied and looked at, but as a college student in the 19th century, he had written one big letter on six postcards, and he hung them on his mantle in his dorm room. So six letters, six postcards, one letter on each postcard hung on the fireplace mantle, and the letters were L-E-T-G-O-D. Let God, let God. And one day he goes to school and he leaves his windows to his dorm open and it was a really windy day and he comes back and he looks and there's only five letters hung on the mantle and you know the letter that fell off, right? It was the, it was the D at the end of God and so he looked at it and he cocked his head a little bit and he said, let go. And it was in that moment he realized the phrase that we've all heard, this is kind of where that phrase come from, comes from let go and let God. Let go and let God. And I believe the application for for us is straightforward here in this text. And with this illustration, God will always keep his promises. If he said it, he'll do it. But listen, but not always do our expectations line up with what God's plan is. Not always do our expectations line up with what God's plans are. I mean, this is the disciples in John 14. We're going to see it as we continue on through this, through this account next week. He says he's going away, and Philip says, where are you going? Oh, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Right? They're, they're confused. They, they're lost. They believe. You remember earlier in the Gospels that, 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 uh, that two of the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who was going to sit on the right and on the left? They were thinking of an earthly kingdom, so their expectations of Jesus was for him to be an earthly ruler. But he had another plan. His plan was death and crucifixion and the redemption of humanity. 
they had a plan of an earthly kingdom, earthly power, and, and, and the things that come from that. So not always do our expectations of God line up with what his plan is for us. And this is where let go and let God comes into reality in our life. Let go of our expectations of what we think is best and let God trust him that he will keep his promises because his ways are best. He will always fulfill his promises towards us. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. What does it mean? It means that God, listen, this is so important. It means that God, if you never get any of the things of the, from an earthly perspective that you are hoping and praying for, but, it, but if you get Christ, you have the pinnacle of his promises. Do you, do you hear that? I'm going to say it one more time. If you never get all of the things that you're hoping for and praying for and believing for in this earth and in this life, this temporary life we live, but if you get Christ, all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Christ is the pinnacle of the promise of God. So you could say it like this. If all you get is forgiveness and eternal life, then my brothers and sisters, you got it all. You got it all. You got it all. So one imperative. What was the imperative? Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Guys, oh, you're weary. You're tired. You're confused. Stop it. Stop being troubled. I got it. I got it. I've got a plan. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in the Father's plan for me that I have come to deal with your anxious heart. Maybe some of them would say, well, how can you say, Jesus? How can you say that? How can you say that? You said you're leaving. How how, how can you say that? Maybe some of us would say that here today. Well, how can you say that, Jesus? Look how difficult my life is right now. And this is the picture. This is the reality. We have to let go and let God trust our hearts and our lives into the hands of a God who is God, who is in charge, and who into a God who keeps his promises. And lastly this morning, one imperative, and here's the third basis, the third truth about God. Do not be troubled because heaven is our home. Do not be troubled because God is God. Do not be troubled because God cannot lie. And do not be troubled because heaven is our home. Look back, verse 3. Three points, three verses. Verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I'll come again. Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going away, but I will return. That's why we read 1 Thessalonians 4 earlier this morning about the return of the Lord, about the ark 
angel and the trumpet and the trumpet blast and the dead in Christ will rise first. And some of us maybe will be, well, maybe we'll be those saints who get ushered up into the clouds at the rapture. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe we will be received. You remember in the book of Acts when, when Stephen was stoned and, and there was a vision, he, as a vision, he saw a vision of Jesus standing up. He stood up for Stephen and he was ready to receive him into heaven. Maybe that'll be us and we'll get to be received into heaven. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I don't know which way I'm going, but I know I'm going to be with Jesus, right? And this is what he's saying. I'm going to return. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to bring you to myself. And this is, he's pressing the reality of heaven. I believe he's pressing the reality of heaven into the hearts of these anxious disciples, talking about heaven, talking about what he's preparing for them. And, And I think there's two realities around this last thought here about not being anxious because heaven is our home. Don't be troubled because heaven is our home. I think two realities here. The first one is this, is that heaven is our real home and the longing of our heart. Heaven's our real home and the longing of our heart. I love what C.S. Lewis said of our longing for heaven. He said, it is our inconsolable longing. There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. But more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. It is the secret signature of our soul, the end, incommunicable and unappeasable want or desire. The thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work and which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. Wow. I love what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Or said another way, in, in line with the theme of Ecclesiastes, there are no foxhole atheists. You've heard that phrase, right? Eternity is stamped in the heart of every human being. There's no foxhole atheist in the middle of, of, of a war fighting for their life. Everyone cries out to God. God has placed a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human being. We are created to know our creator. And for many people, they spend their lives running from him, running from him, running from the obvious reality of eternity. So I, I'm here to ask you today, what about you today? Are you running from God today? Are you running away from your creator? Have you been chasing after the gods of Babylon trying to find peace for your troubled heart? Maybe you came in here today and you're not in a relationship with Christ and you've been chasing money and sex and relationships and, and, and all the different things that, that you think will bring fulfillment into your life. Today, God's calling to you through his son, Jesus. And he's saying, look to me, look to me. Look to me, I am salvation, I am healing, I am forgiveness. And so I want to call to everyone, run after Christ, follow after him, know him. He created you to know him, to be known by him. But as believers here today, this longing for heaven, as C.S. Lewis said it, I think it's so good for us to think about as believers, this knowing, this longing. I believe it's amplified for us as Christians here today. Why is it amplified for us, this deep longing? I think... 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us why. Listen to 1 Peter 2. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Some translations say aliens. You feel like an alien here today in planet Earth? 
Everyone's looking for aliens nowadays, right? I, like on reputable news outlets, they get talks about aliens. It's, it's like aliens and Bigfoot, right? Like seriously, UFOs. I mean, some of you are probably in here thinking maybe you do believe in UFOs. I think uh, if people talk about it more and more, people start believing in it. But like, like we feel like aliens, don't we? We feel like, where are we from? What world are we living in? And listen to what Peter says. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. So why is this for believers, this longing for heaven? Why is it amplified? Because we feel the war that is at, that is at as being waged in our soul against our flesh, against the world, the flesh and the devil. Do you feel it with me? The temptation of the soul, the temptation to sin. Do you long for the day when temptation to sin will be gone? You long for that day? How long for that day? When there's no more sin, no more offense. Like you can look at me the wrong way uh, in heaven and I, I don't even think, I don't even know what the wrong way means. Because it's gone. I won't, I'm, I'm unoffendable. Can't, wouldn't that be great? I cannot wait for that day when we're all unoffendable. We just all love each other like we're supposed to love each other. No sin, no offense, no bitterness, no anger. It's this longing because we're in a war. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the enemy, of the, of the evil one. We're in a spiritual battle. And this is why I long for heaven. The battle's over. I love this song by Matt Boswell. It's called Almost Home. Listen to these lyrics. This is so good. Don't drop a single anchor. We're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have gone before us? No stopping now. We're almost home. That promised land is calling. We're almost home. And not a tear shall fall then. We're almost home. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back. We're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord. We're almost home. Some of us, we don't know how close we are. Some of us, we think because we're older that we're closer than those that are younger, but maybe, who knows, maybe the younger will go before the older. But as believers in Christ, it is our blessed hope that we will be with our Lord. Amen? So this leads us to the second reality here of this, of this not being troubled because heaven's our home. Well, here's the second reality I think Christ is leaning into. Christ will return and make all things right. Do you believe that? Christ will return and make all things right. Uh, the Preaching the Word commentary says it like this. This is to be a great comfort to our souls. Though we live in a world of trouble and tribulation, we wait on our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our God is patient, right? He's going to return. He's going to come. And, and some of us think, well, God, why, why, why don't you come back now? Look at the world around us. But our God's patient. He's patient. Evil people and evil rulers are not judged instantly for their rebellion against him. But the truth is, is there is a day that is fixed when Christ will judge he will return, and in his second coming this time, it won't be to save, but it will be to bring justice on all those who have rebelled against him. Look what Acts 17 says. This is what it says. The times of ignorance God overlooked. He's patient. But now, 
He commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. Amen? He'll make all things right. There'll be a day when he will make all things right. The scales will be balanced. All things will be made right. The oppressed will be free. Those who exploit children and the vulnerable will be out of business. Tyrannical rulers will have no more ability to scare people into submission. Sickness will be no more. Disease will be no more. Cancer will be no more. Every tear will be wiped away. God will make all things right. And Jesus said to these disciples in John 14, hours from his arrest, crucifixion, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Stop it. Stop being troubled in your heart. And I can hear their cries just as we would say, we would say, why? How? Simply. Three truths about God. Let not your hearts be troubled because God is God. He's in charge. He's in control. His plan will be fulfilled. God is God. Don't be troubled. God's God. Don't be troubled. God cannot lie. He will fulfill his promises for you. And the pinnacle of that fulfillment is Christ and your salvation. Don't be troubled. God cannot lie. And then lastly, don't be troubled because heaven is our home. Amen. I end with this story. A substitute teacher was called to go to a hospital of a sick boy. The boy had been in the hospital for an extended stay. And so... The public school system had a system for students that were in extended hospital stays so that they wouldn't be left behind in their studies and they'd be caught up. And so they sent a substitute teacher into the hospital to talk to the boy. And the lesson that he needed to be caught up on was nouns and adverbs, nouns and adverbs. And so the substitute teacher goes in and teaches the boy about nouns and adverbs. And then the substitute teacher goes home for the day and she's coming back the next day to continue the lesson on nouns and adverbs. And so as, an, as the substitute teacher gets back to the hospital and she's in the waiting room waiting to get to the boy, the nurse comes and hurriedly comes and talks to the teacher and says, what did you do yesterday in the room? And the teacher was a little nervous because she felt like maybe she did something wrong. And she said, oh, I apologize if I did anything wrong. And the nurse says, no. The boy just completely changed. He, he, he went from troubled and depressed and discouraged and overwhelmed to all of a sudden he had hope. And he was excited and he, his whole attitude changed. He was honorary and disobedient, wouldn't listen to us. And now he, he, he had hope. It's like his whole burden was lifted. And so the teacher was like, wow, nouns and adverbs. Pretty amazing what can happen. So the substitute teacher gets back into the hospital room with the, the, with the boy. And she asks him, she says, your nurses said that something changed in you, that, that you went from being discouraged and overwhelmed and troubled, and, and all of a sudden you, you had hope. You, had, you, you were nice to be around. You, you had peace. And the boy spoke up and he said this. He said, everything changed. When I, come, when I came to a simple realization. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs 
with a dying boy, would they? So listen, listen. In that same way, our concluding thought for this message is this. The father wouldn't have sent his son. And the son wouldn't have fulfilled his father's plan. And we wouldn't have been given the eternal promises of the word if God was simply going to leave us without hope and without peace for our troubled hearts. Amen? Amen. 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 His word is true. Don't let your hearts be troubled because God is God. He cannot lie. And he's going to make all things right. Amen.